0: Two Foreskins Walk Into a Bar A serial novel by Chris Thompson Narrated by Chris Thompson Chapter Two Shitting Myself on an A-lister's Carpet When the spring came, I got gonorrhea. In New York, someone flicks a switch and the weather changes from cold to hot in a day. Gays emerge triumphantly from hibernation in sleeveless tops, unveiling the muscles they've been incubating over winter. The air is filled with freshness. A febrile horniness underscores every interaction. Each stepping out of someone's way on the sidewalk or leaning over to get the half-and-half contains the enticing possibility that it might lead to something else. The skyscrapers seem taller. The city smiles again. I met a guy named, well, let's call him Aaron, who came with me to the STD clinic. Aaron was a singer and a musician gigging at 54 Below and performing in jazz clubs. I watched his stuff on YouTube before I met him. He had an authority in the way he performed that I'd not seen before, an ability to clarify and distill the story of each song. He presented on stage a duality. The character was clear, but it was distilled through him. When he sung, I felt I was getting to know two people at the same time. He liked me saying this and asked to read one of my plays. In the waiting room, Aaron told me he was still getting over someone, so our relationship could only be sexual. His predicament was that he now understood he didn't want to get over this person. It's the realisation he said he'd come to whilst he was reading my play. Not because the play was illuminating or insightful, but the act of intimacy was misplaced. He should be reading his ex's play, not mine. Was there nothing in the play that opened up this idea? No. My name was called, and I was swiftly injected on my bum cheek and prescribed antibiotics, which, I was warned, might upset my stomach. Returning to Aaron in the waiting room, my phone rang. My producer, out of breath, was screaming, Cancel your plans this afternoon! He'd sent Carthage to... (laughs) who had responded very well to the script and wanted to meet before he headed back to LA. We had no director, no theatre, so it felt somewhat premature, but there was no doubt getting the buy-in from an a lister would open the doors that were currently closing in our faces. Our actor was flying this evening, but could see us this afternoon. His apartment was on the Upper West Side. Aaron got the subway up with me out of nosiness and we said goodbye on the corner. My producer was already there, hopping from one foot to the other. We looked up at the apartment and then at each other, the unspoken point being this was the biggest meeting of our professional lives. If there had been any warning, I'd have gone to the bathroom. There are plenty to choose from in this apartment. In my memory, everything was white, but I'm not sure that's true. The walls certainly were. The carpet was more off-white. And I remember remarking to myself as I walked in, this must be the first carpet I've seen in a New York apartment. The meeting had gone well. It turns out my producer had lied and said we had a theatre in New York available. Was still interested and was going to share the play with his team. We were at the door saying goodbye when I felt like I'd been punched hard in the stomach. I doubled over and squatted in agony. A huge amount of shit came out of me. With such force, it pushed over the top of my trousers and onto the carpet. It wouldn't stop. A volcanic lava inexorably racing towards the village below. I writhed on the floor and dragged myself into the bathroom. I tried to clean myself up, but I kept shitting. I'm not sure how I'd react if the roles were reversed. If a writer turned up to my apartment and shut himself on the floor and then shouted through the bathroom door, It's on account of the gonorrhea medication! Thankfully, this man, this beautiful soul, showed mercy and was kind enough to see the funny side, even encouraging me to laugh too. I guess when you're rich and famous, you can just replace the carpet. I threw my clothes in a bin on the sidewalk and got the subway in the jogging bottoms he gave me. When I made it back to my apartment in Prospect Park, my roommates were having a tantric sex party. Layla and Zuri were a pansexual, ethical, non-monogamous lesbian couple recently returned from aid work in Haiti. They had two cats named after Spices and would always encourage me to join their happenings in some way. After I showered, I sat on the floor of my room in darkness and tried to stop my body shaking. There was a knock at the door. They told me you were gay. I wondered if you'd like to have sex with me. I've just shat myself on a carpet. My gentleman caller, Malik, had once soiled himself on a plane. It helped me a great deal to hear that. He suggested we lay on my bed and do some breathing exercises to help regulate my nervous system. I could feel his erection press against me as we amalgamated our fully closed outlines into a new amorphous form. When I woke up, he was gone. The next day, I took the train to Chicago. I had decided to write Robert a letter, but I needed to leave New York to do so. I spent several hours scouring stationery stores for the perfect paper on which to write. Nothing was good enough. Not for my words, but for the recipient. I had been planning to write for several weeks, but it was only when I found a thick, creamy parchment intended for calligraphy that I felt able to go ahead with the plan. I don't know why I needed to go to Chicago to write it. Americans talk to you on trains. For uptight British people, this can be deeply unsettling, especially when you're facing down a 24-hour train ride. Once again, the hot guy eschewed me and found his seat near the doors, and I got Christine, the grandmother from Seattle. Because in America, all work is noble, no one hesitates to ask you what you do for a living. Whereas in the UK, we might hesitate, lest someone replies with a job we feel unworthy of conversation. Here, you may even have two jobs. It's a country with no safety net, so how you stay afloat can be spoken about with pride. Christine came out strong with the big guns. What do you do? Where are you from? Are you married? Do you have children? I think these questions have historically been harder for gays. They feel more intrusive. There's more at stake if you answer honestly. For all my talk about having processed my gay demons, I still absorbed it like a sponge, and had you squeezed me, I'd have drenched the floor with shame. But Christine broke me. In my mind, I said, listen, lady, I'm British. You're going to get 24 hours of weather talk. But by Poughkeepsie, Christine had pulled it all out of me. My deepest secrets slurped out like an oyster. Robert, Lionel, the wheelie bins, work, children, the letter. I always assumed maternal grandma types were good mothers to their own children. But I sensed in Christine a distance, not purely physical, between her and her daughters. They both chose to live far from her, which is telling in itself. The evidence base tells us that children of narcissistic and borderline personality disorder parents often move long distances away, and I couldn't figure out if Christine was enjoying free-spirited twilight years or if her flightiness had come at a cost. Was she, as Bell Hooks would say, an intimate terrorist? I'd rented an apartment on the 25th floor overlooking Lake Michigan. In the bedroom was a writing table, or maybe it was for makeup. but I determined this was the sacred place I would write the letter. I'd already done a draft of my laptop, but the task ahead of me was to edit the text and transcribe it onto this parchment. That night, I went to a gay bar across the street from my apartment. It was on the second floor, and could have been a converted office building from the 70s. I picked up a tall man in his 50s and took him back to my apartment. It was a silent so-so fuck. We both returned to the bar and I picked up a younger guy, well, younger than me in any case. He was an actor auditioning for Steppenwolf. I couldn't stop talking about the letter. He asked to read it and I said no. When we woke up the next morning, I gave him a blowjob, but I cried all the way through it because he wasn't the man I loved. I stirred again around lunchtime, by which time he'd left. On the dressing table, he had left me his acting resume and headshot. But Robert's letter had gone. Next time on Two Foreskins Walk Into a Bar. I'm looking for someone yearning to be daddy's little stud. I raced to the bathrooms and masturbated. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying, please rate and review wherever you get your podcasts.